This is Seam Change, where we chat to Aussie fashion creatives who are partnering to source textile waste and transform it into something new. I'm Julia English, and this podcast is part of my PhD research at RMIT University. I'll be opening the door so you can listen in as I interview these designers about their experiences in collaborating with the local industry. Their thoughts and mine are our own and don't reflect either the university or any other companies that we discuss. I'd like to acknowledge the Wundjeri people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. The person whom I'll be chatting to on this episode is Courtney Holm, the designer behind circular fashion brand ABCH. You might have heard of her before, as she's generous in sharing her knowledge on how the fashion industry can embrace circularity to do better. And I've learned a lot from her, having had the privilege to intern at the brand a few years ago. ABCH was founded in 2017 and only sells direct to customer, offering transparency about all the processes involved in producing their clothes as well as offering advice on wardrobe care and a repair service should their products break. With a minimalist aesthetic, ABCH considers design from the ground up, quite literally, starting with raw materials and having a strict selection criteria to make sure they are having as minimal impact on the planet as possible. Focusing on classic pieces like tees, pants, shirts and dresses, the colour palette has grown from the original black or white to encompass undyed navy and red with plans to slowly grow when both demand and supply are capable. Alongside their main range, they also offer a selection of one-offs and custom pieces called ABCH Redline, which often include more colourful styles and are interesting weaves. Two of these designs are the focus for today's chat, as Courtney partnered with Tasmanian-based Waverly Mills to remake some of their miswoven blankets into beautiful coats. For Courtney, ABCH is a full-time gig, and she also has a small team behind her, whose roles vary from co-founders to marketing, as well as in-house production, as they produce locally on their West Melbourne site. In this episode, you'll hear us talking about how materials matter, so much so that Courtney takes any opportunity to site visit, which led to her finding this waste source. I also ask her about Redline and what role it plays in the brand structure, as well as what it offers her as a creative. This is Seam Change, and we're chatting to Courtney Holm about how ABCH partnered to remake waste. Hey, Courtney. So thanks so much for being interviewed and being part of the research and the podcast with this. Um, Maybe just kick us off by, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening will have heard about you, but maybe just a quick overview of you and your brand and what you stand for. Great. Okay. Well, thanks for having me here and chatting to me today. ABCH is a circular fashion label. We started the brand in well, the idea was born in 2016. We launched in 2017. And it really was a culmination of my experiences in both university and then coming out and working in the industry and seeing that my values were not really aligned with that of the like common path for um, fashion design careers. And yeah, at that point decided that I either wanted to, I guess, really 
get out of this industry, do something completely different or do something really different to change it. And that's kind of where APCH all started. And it started as an idea of, of can we build a business based on values? And it grew from there. So that was the first idea was can we establish values and actually make all of our decisions form around those values? Today, I really in particular want to talk about the Waverley Mills project, but it is quite a different in some ways project for you in the sense that you do normally work with like virgin materials, which you are really careful about how you source. Maybe just to kind of set up that framework, could you tell me a little bit about how you normally approach things and then maybe how the Waverly Mills project was similar or different in that front? Yeah, for sure. I think when we first started the label, it was about establishing really good raw materials so that we had really good materials to work with for a recycling stream at the end. So the way that the whole business has been approached is the idea of this of the life cycle of a garment. And so understanding before we put anything together with you know any trims or any additions that go into not just the fabric, we really need to understand what impact that's going to have and how that can actually move forward in future cycles after a garment has lived its longest and fullest life. It really was quite natural for us to start working with um, any industrial waste that we were generating in that in that process of actually working with those materials. And for me, it was really important that, yeah, the the materials that we work with never became locked into something where they end where the life cycle would end. And so Redline was born as this way to start working with waste in a little bit more of a creative way that wasn't just kind of your classic timeless pieces that ABCH was kind of known for. It was more about taking those things and coming up with some creative ideas that we could we could work with those materials, but still apply the same kind of framework and methodology around circularity and not kind of creating something that just ends up making the problem worse potentially. And having a life cycle that ends just in landfill because even if you're to use all the scraps of all the materials out there in the world if you haven't considered how you putting them together actually makes an impact on end of life then you're kind of it, it's ending at some point so i think that that's really important for us is that anything we put together and we design and we construct is um, approached in that way whether it's virgin materials and once we start getting more feedstock of recycled materials into our original product, which is that's like the long term goal. Even at that point, it's never about, okay, well, let's just add 10% of polyester into this for strength, because that's not actually going to solve the problem in the next life cycle. And so yeah, so I think like for us, Redline was a way to be creative with that process, use offcuts, use scraps, use threads that come off the machines, like whatever it might be. And that is also a place that we can experiment be creative and do collaborations with other people that might have surplus materials that still fit the bill. And so that's, yeah, that's kind of how we approach it. And it's, yeah, it's not that we don't want to work with recycled materials. I think it's, it's that they need to still, they need to be like the future recycled materials for us and, and that we're generating that feedstock now in the right way so that it's not just like, what do we do with all this stuff? And we actually have a solution. So yeah. Okay. So that's pretty cool. You're clearly pretty picky about what materials you work with in a good way. So with the project with Redline and with the project with Waverly Mills, how did you think about the materiality and do you have any requirements when it comes to working with somebody else's waste stream? I think that it was quite a natural like collaboration that happened. I had a really good connection with the then um, CEO at the time. And I went to visit the mill and just see what they were doing and try to understand whether we could actually collaborate in a different way. And my thoughts were, 
okay, can we work with Waverly, utilize the fact that they already have this process of ragging materials, regenerating fiber back into, you know, new product? And could we work with them in that sense and um, kind of piggyback off of the like work that they had done, but then do it in a in a different way that was more relevant to apparel and less so to kind of like Manchester. And so uh, that was the like intent. And then going there and seeing how it all worked and understanding it, we just were chatting and going through the factory and we like stumbled across these like this pile of blankets and they were just like sitting on the ground. Um, and I was just like, oh, what's going on? What's going on here? And Andrew was like, oh, these are so these are actually recycled blankets. They've come out of the recycling process. They've been, you know, fiber shredded. They've been reblended um, with recycled wool and then virgin polyester blended through. They had trialed some recycled polyester, but it was just not like not producing a good result. Anyway, so they blended this in and they put it on the loom. And when they went to weave it, the machine, the loom had an error and it actually made like multiple errors across like I think there was like 41 blankets that had um different places where there was errors in the in the weaving and look he was like okay so what would happen is we'll just like take them back shred them up put them back through that whole process again and hope that it you know it doesn't happen but you know there was actually a lot of labor time and effort that went into weaving those those blankets they've been like all color sorted so that you know you got a purple and you got a green and you got a gray and you had all the you know the blending and the, the work that goes on and it just seemed like a little bit of a shame for it to just go back into the shredder so to speak and potentially lose quality and have to be reblended with more poly and so i was just like oh like maybe we could do something with those and literally it was just like oh here you go take some back to victoria with you and and see what you can come up with so it was really like as simple as that. It wasn't like a very um, planned out sort of collab. They did end up doing like ragging for us, which was amazing because that actually helped us get through a, a like a miniature trial of ragging our own um, cellulose fiber. But the equipment just is so set up for wool that it just is not something we can proceed with. But it was like a nice way to just like try something out. And because the material was, I, I guess I like really connected with the material because it was, it's beautiful. It's wool. I think anything wool, I feel already a little bit like it's much more precious because it is a material that it's like grown on the back of an animal. Like it's a special fiber and devaluing those kinds of fibers, I think is like, I don't know. I, I'm like, no, save it. You know, it's like when you see a wool jumper and someone wants to cut it up and you're like, no, like there's something that can be done with this before we like take it down to that level so seeing the blanket thinking okay what could we make out of this bringing it back to melbourne and then i guess like starting to think okay how can we make something out of this that is not going to make it less like make the quality go down or make the value go down like how can we increase its value if anything if not keep it the same value it would have been if it ended up being a perfect blanket and how can we also avoid the predicament of the fact that it had poly blended in it? How can we avoid the predicament of putting a bunch of other stuff into it and that stuff then not being able to be recycled because it's not a wool product and it can't go back through that same exact system? So that was kind of the design constraints. And typically we wouldn't work with anything with, with any polyester blend in it. But this was kind of an exception and something that I really wanted to just try and see if we could come up with an, a way to work with it that would still make sense for the process. 
And so, yeah, when we when we laid out the fab- the not the fabric, but the, laid out the blankets and saw where the loom errors were, and also like the way that the color blocking was done for the blanket, it was like okay, trying to decide how we would make that come together in a coat or a jacket. And in the end, we decided to you know make two jackets out of the material, but we needed two whole blankets to do it because we had to kind of split up all the color blocked areas to to do that. And just try to make it a bit more clean and simple, like our aesthetic kind of put that touch on it. But then, you know, it, if you're making a jacket or a coat, it's not a simple, it's not like a monomaterial type leaning, <laughs> leaning product. So you, um, you know, you have to consider linings and you have to consider if you're going to put fusing in there or if you're going to have, you know, what's the fastening going to be. And so it was like a matter of, okay, how do we, yeah, how do we work with the design constraints to come up with the, with the product? And so that was like our challenge. And we were able to make uh, the aesthetic be kind of this relaxed, tailored look without having to add any fusings or like um, additional like stiffeners and use the weight of the fabric to give us like the structure that we needed in the places that we needed. And then in terms of like lining, we made the lining completely separate from the actual shell. And we wanted to have a lining because we wanted something that would protect the outside material from getting too smelly or too close to the skin but we also wanted the lining to still be able to um, have its own recycling stream and so we worked with 100% tensile so the thread was tensile the materials tensile it's very silky like lends itself well to lining it's fine and then we put our typical like cellulose buttons on there and we made sure that that was separate you could tie it into the to the coat and just untie it whenever you needed to you could wash the lining separately and then the outside could stay pretty much out of the laundry that was the other thing we didn't want it to be something that we had to wash either in a washing machine or dry clean we wanted to keep it like how can we preserve this from the the laundry basket (laughs) and mostly to avoid microplastics and so yeah like that was one way we worked that out and then the actual jacket itself we actually decided to work with dead stock polyester threads which we never normally would work with for the actual shell to keep it the same materials as that as it already was and the only thing you would have had to do is uh, one of the jackets didn't have any buttons one of them had one button and you just had to clip off that button and that whole outer shell could go back into the Waverly Mills um, recycling stream to go back into new blankets one day but the idea was that it would have a really 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 long life before that and be like appreciated as a beautiful beautiful coat before it had to go back into the shredder and have like hopefully more time to live <laughs> if that makes sense and then the lining you can um you could put that in a compost or you could recycle that with a cellulose recycling stream so same process but not with a protein fiber and so the idea is that you have like these two monomaterial sort of nearly monomaterial products that can go on their own merry ways very very easily and yeah and so we launched those through redline and th- th- yeah that's it's basically it like it was very um yeah, it was just like a small thing and a nice little design challenge. Yeah. How many units did you end up making? Was it just the two? Yeah. We could have made more, I guess. I, I, I don't know what happened in terms of like, I think that there was like a period of transition. And also when we launched them, it was right at the start of the pandemic. So we put them on the runway um, in March 2020. And they essentially like three days later, we were in our first lockdown. So it was a really weird time. So I don't know what, like, I think there could have been an opportunity for us to take all 41 blankets and do that, but it just didn't, it just didn't, it didn't happen, you know, and it was just a weird time. 
but it was really like fun to work on the project and it's kind of nice to do one-off things um and that is kind of part of redline as well if it's a one-off it's not a big deal it's not like with the other stuff if we make one we have to make more because everybody would be like why can't i order that <laughs> so yeah It sounds like it was really a bit product of its time, maybe in that sense that it was kind of everything aligned beautifully. Maybe going back to the start, um, you said that it sort of happened quite organically because you had this relationship. Could you tell me a little bit about maybe how that relationship came about? What were sort of the dominoes that led to you attending and going to the factory? Well, actually, I had spoken at Legacy Conference, I think earlier in 2019. Yeah, it would have been earlier in 2019. And that's where I met, that's where I met Andrew. And that's where I actually learned that they were doing what they were doing. We weren't speaking on the same panel, but he was speaking on a panel. I went up to him afterwards and just started chatting to him. And um, he was just like really friendly and and lovely and was really open to ideas. Like, you know, I asked him, why do you have to put polyester in your wool? Like, can you use a different material? Could you try tensile? And he's like, oh, we'll try it, you know? And he actually did try it. It didn't work, but he tried it. He just was like quite like, curious to try things and to do collaborations and um so yeah that's that's how I like I met him and had my first kind of I guess experience with with Waverly years before that they actually went through a bit of a um like a I don't know a business scare where they thought they might go out of business and they did like a big kickstarter I don't know if any anyone remembers this but it was probably in like 2018 maybe that, that or 2017 even could even have been 2017 i remember seeing the kickstarter and being quite i think we even did it like an abch blog post about it and we pushed it out on our socials because i remember feeling quite upset of the fact that we could lose one of our like only working commercial scale woolen mills you know and i kind of felt like, oh, we've got to do something about this because there was a lot of things that actually closed down around that time. Um, other knitting mills, the spinning, all of this stuff was kind of shutting down around a similar time and they were like the last ones. And so I was like, no, we can't. Not that I had, you know, much to do with saving them besides buying a blanket, you know, but like I think the I knew about them and I knew what they did and then I met Andrew and then after that I, I just sent him an email to say, like, hi, I'd love to come see the the mill. And literally, yeah, just planned it all, came down. He took me on a day tour. It was like very, very lovely. Just like showed me around. And yeah, it took me through the town and it was really nice. I don't know, just like put myself out there. And anytime I can go to an origin point of something, whether it's like the, the mill or the farm or, you know, a place where the process is taking place, I'm ready to go. Like I've been to cotton farms in, in Australia. I've been I've been to cotton farms. I've been to wool farms. I've been to the mills. I mean, all I've been to, you know, our like local knitting mills, but also like his mill. And yeah, it was like, it's just part of, I'm just curious about process. I'm curious about the people who make our stuff. And I like to understand how things exist and don't like to just think, oh, that's just going to happen somewhere in the world. I want to really know Anytime, you know, in a previous life when we could travel, anytime I was traveling and I was close by to a supplier, I would make it my business to go. Like when we were in Hong Kong, I was like, I'm going to to China so I can meet my tensile mill and so I can actually go there. So I've met them, but I'm like, I want to go to their facilities and I want to see where it's done. Same in Belgium. Like anytime I can get close to somewhere, I will like go out of my way to visit it because I just, I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah. And I want to know more. 
Fair enough. I think that's that's a great sentiment. I would love to hear, when you talked about that tour through the mills, you saw the pile of blankets. Can you talk me through a little bit about when you volunteered to do something with it? Did you have a design in mind? Was it just like a, oh, I love this? No, I didn't have a design in mind. I think Andrew was kind of like, oh, could you make tote bags out of it? And I was like, I think I could do better than tote bags. We don't need more tote bags in the world. Um, <laughs> and I think like, yeah, it was just like a, I'll just take these with me and give it a go. And um, yeah, that's literally, I didn't have any idea at the time. And it wasn't until I just took it home, laid it out on the table and started thinking about it. And yeah, I'm like a, I'm a thinker, a thinker designer. Like I don't really like just start sketching. I usually sketch after I've seen it in my head. And usually it takes the material material inspiration really helps so if I see the material and I can kind of go okay yeah this is how much I have to work with I wonder if this is possible and then I just like dream about it for a little while and then yeah it kind of comes eventually it comes comes to me so yeah I didn't yeah I just saw the pile I was like okay honestly it was not a color I was drawn to it was like purple and green and a bit of gray I like the gray and I was like oh yeah yeah it wasn't even that I was like oh I know exactly what to do with this it was just more a challenge so you designed all of these products. You made them, well, not all of these, these two beautiful jackets. Did you have any offcuts? Yeah, we did. What did you do with them? <laughs> Great question. Besides working on these, we were also working on a whole zero waste collection at the time, which is what we showed at the runway. And the whole idea was, okay, we're not going to buy any new materials. We're only going to work with fabrics we either have on hand or that we find or like we can't like buy materials. And also any offcuts that we generate, we need to like be prepared to display whatever is left over on the runway because we want to show what it took to make these products. Some of the products ended up being made from the offcuts that we created. So we like would make a jacket. We made a linen jacket out of all the linen offcuts from that from that collection, for example. With the wool offcuts, though, we ended up making so that there was two kind of art textile art pieces that we made in the in the end and. Yeah, we call it cut piece and it's where we put material together. Sometimes it, the cut piece will become a garment, like it might become a sleeve or it might become a pattern a placement for something. But for these ones, I felt like very strongly that they were just really beautiful as they were and that I didn't really want to put them into a garment. I think on the runway, we ended up putting one of the cut pieces onto the jacket so that the jacket had its own waist attached to it sort of thing but it was just like pinned on but yeah in the end it was like art pieces and so I I still have them I didn't like want to sell them or anything because they're really handy to use in like presentations and talking to students and also teaching the cut piece method which I've done a couple of you know semesters in a row and so it's nice to have examples around and they're just really pretty I really like them but I think they could end up being like on a wall like little wall hangings they're they're not that big like they're they're pretty small a three ish yeah so yeah, that's where all the offcuts went. Because it was like a blanket, there were like tassels and stuff. And I just really loved the, I just really wanted to keep that, I don't know, whatever feeling it was of kind of like chaos. And also there, again, because of the mistakes in the loom, there were like kind of these stringy bits that shouldn't have been there. And But we kept it all and we just thought it, it just added to it. Yeah, that's what we did. With the two pieces that you did make, did they sell? How quickly did they sell? If you're happy to share. We ended up showing one of the jackets at the Wool Museum down in Geelong. And it was there for, I want to say, 
nearly a year. Like it was there a long time. So we didn't even end up putting that one for sale. And the other one we actually still have as well. We actually had a few inquiries about about the um, the one that we didn't put for sale, of course. But yeah, people could still see it on the website. What I would love to know more about with this is there is this sort of long-term timeline to your work in the sense that there is this sort of intention that it goes back to Waverly at the end of the garment's life. How do you keep that connection or allow that intention to hopefully be lived out? Mm. Well, I think, you know, if we were to let go of those pieces and someone did want to purchase them, then it kind of comes back into the ABCH model of, you know, we want to be, I guess, the point of contact for that point when it comes to be the end of life and giving the customer a understanding of what they actually have to do when they purchase it. It's not a guaranteed. You are hoping that the customer is engaged with that process and doing all of the things you can in your communications to hopefully set that up for its best possible chance of success. But once if you do let it out your door, like if you still have it, that's fine. It's a different story. But if it's something that you've like let let leave, then you know you are relying on it on on your customer to do the next step. Hopefully, we've made it very clear and very easy for customers to understand how to send something back to us when that time does come. And we try to give them an incentive. It's not so that they will buy more stuff, but it's more an incentive to remember to send it back to us and that you will get a reward for it, you know, because we appreciate your contribution and not just letting it go to landfill and not letting it go to the wrong place. And then I guess the other thing is just pointing people to the website whenever we can for information. So we have a section for recyclers. So if someone was to come across this one day when recycling textiles is much more prevalent, that they would have instructions on what to do and they would know the full bill of materials and and all of that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's not a perfect science and you can't like put a tracking device on your garments. That would be weird. But yeah, it's more about trying to build the rapport and relationship with the customer so that they know what to do. And that they know essentially to send it back to us because we will we will deal with it for them. They don't have to do anything really, but send it back to us. But that's still a that's still a significant thing to ask a customer to do, especially if they're purchasing clothes from, you know, multiple brands and maybe they forgot, you know. Yeah, it's about communication at point of sale, prior to point of sale, providing all of that information. Hopefully we're not in stores, so it's not like people are walking up to a store and going, Oh, this is cute, I'm gonna buy this. Like they actually kind of have to learn a little bit even if they learn the bare minimum they have to learn a little bit when they come to our website because it's just you can't not like it's like in your face about what we're what we're doing it's not just like oh buy these clothes so i think putting all of that focus and emphasis on that on that information for the customer and letting them kind of dig as deep as they want but they still need to get some sense of you know this has to cycle back that's really that's really all we can do at this point until there are global systems really set up for textile recycling and there is communication methods that are inserted into the garment that is universal like that is that would be the ideal because it would mean that we just all do the right we just all as manufacturers we just all do it but that might be a while a while away <laughs> I did want to ask you as well, because you have Redline and you have your mainline, 
Obviously, if you haven't sold the two jackets, they haven't actually brought in any dollars, as far as I can tell. How does the red line and your sort of main line balance each out, like cost-wise, paying for the business, those kind of aspects? I mean, red line's definitely like not a commercial endeavor, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, we definitely sell some stuff through red line, but really on a balance, the time that is put into making a product in red line is just like astronaut. It's like astronomical in comparison to like our, you know, production flow of how we make our clothes normally. But that's kind of intentional. Like it's like an opportunity for us to talk more about like the process and the craftsmanship and like textile techniques and, you know, things like that, which you don't really get as much chance to talk about. So yeah, I guess it's more of a overall branding, creative, like directional side to what we do. Whereas the core of what we do at ABCH, you know, while there's a great story behind the clothes, like, I don't know if people will get as excited about making a sweatshirt and what, you know, what's the craftsmanship that goes into that? Yeah, yeah, there's craftsmanship. Sure, there is. Like it's a skilled, skilled job to make a quality garment, but we don't get to like really like dive into, okay, like this took like 20 hours to make because we had to like thread individual cords through channels and like to build to build up the quilts work or whatever it was. Like I think it balances out in the sense that I guess like from a business perspective it gives like the brand like an edge and it gives us like the creative outlet and also you know we can do commissions and we can do you know stuff for competitions or whatever and it's yeah I guess it's important to have both for us I don't think I could like survive just like not doing anything like it's still creative what we do at ABCH but it's like I think I need to be able to do some more hands-on things and experiment and play. And I think that's where I get that outlet. But also it is it's good for the brand too. People really respond to it. They like it. Um, not everybody it's not everybody's cup of tea to purchase, but they still enjoy the content that we that we put out because of it. So yeah, like I don't think it's gonna ever make us a lot of money, but it's not really the point. So yeah. Have you had any other work with Redline where you've sort of had more of a direct partnership with somebody else's waste stream no not really like we are typically are just working with our own with our own waste at this point in time it's not to say that we wouldn't use other waste streams in the future just has to be the right I I guess there has to be the right synergy there and and the right opportunity so yeah like we've just been talking about it's not like it's not like I can dedicate heaps and heaps of time to it, it has to take up a proportionate amount of time to the amount of balance of the business, you know, in, in, a, in a just completely business setting. You have to kind of keep that in its own like little bubble and not let it take over everything you do because otherwise you're not investing into the things that is actually keeping the business going. It, yeah, there needs to be something of interest there. I think at that time with with that that collaboration with with Waverly, it was more, we were like really in that space of we're working with waste. We're making this whole production. We were putting on a runway show. We actually, um, that was funded um, partly by Creative Victoria as well. So there was like, you know, we had that flexibility and freedom to kind of do that. Whereas, I don't know, I'm not like seeking it out unless it's a really good opportunity because like, yeah, it has to be commercially viable for us. And um also be like exciting creatively as well because like like we've been saying it's not it can't take over everything it's just not sustainable yeah 
with that, looking at these types of collaborations, is there anything that's on your wish list? I've got so many projects going on at the moment. If something kind of presents itself, yeah, I'd be definitely interested. But we're we're looking into, so on, on that kind of like using waste side of things, we're actually looking into how we can almost collectivize the waste of the industry right now as a as a group of people, so a collaboration, because there is so much kind of like surplus dead stock, whatever you want to call it, material just like laying around, especially in Victoria, where a lot of material is produced um, and a lot of designers are based. Yeah, I'm really actually interested in that space, but not for us to utilize at ABCH necessarily. It's more for how do we redistribute this to other designers, so other small designers that have like they have access issues where they can't get large minimum order quantities of materials because they can't afford it or it's just too much for them. And so how do we kind of start to get the material distributed because it's just like sitting around in warehouses and no one even knows about it. And so that is a space I'm really interested in that's not really about us using it ourselves, but more about helping facilitate how it gets out there and using like our experience in circular sourcing and also, I guess, just understanding as a designer myself, like what am I looking for? If I was going to use a dead stock fabric, how does it need to be presented to me? How does it need to be displayed and sold to me, so to speak, that it doesn't look or feel like someone else's garbage or like second rate material or failed material you know like how do we actually make this stuff more appealing and more valuable to to everybody and because it is valuable it's just all about how you look at it and so yeah I think like that's probably more where I'm interested in collaborating right now rather than just like oh what can we make out of other people's stuff there's a lot of great designers upcyclers people doing stuff like that I, yeah, I don't need to encroach on their space necessarily. I'm happy to work with our own waste. And then if something comes up that's really on brand and really appropriate, yeah, we'll consider it. We'll think about it. We'll weigh it up. But then there's all these kind of bigger picture projects going on in the background as well. Um, and we're still in the process of recycling our own fiber as well, which has taken years. But we've actually got a partner now who can actually recycle it for us, turn it back into yarn. So it's just like there's so much happening and all this stuff is more shared as well. Um, so it's important to do the small stuff because it's fun. It's creative. It also is something people can see and connect with. And they go, oh, that's a jacket made from recycled wool. They see it in a museum and they're like, oh, wow, this is cool. The story is amazing. They connect with it. But then there's also the like the really practical, helpful stuff. It's like, oh, this gives, you know, other designers access to recycled materials or to surplus materials, you know, doing what we can to help that along. For everybody listening, in case you're wondering what circular sourcing is, Courtney also runs an Etsy store where if you're a small designer or just a home seller, you can get organic cotton threads, bio-based elastics, a whole mix of stuff. I think just one or two logistical questions. I'm just interested, did you have any follow-up after they'd given you the textiles? I mean, I guess because it was such a like low-key thing, it wasn't like this official like, oh, we need to be across this. Like, you know, we would catch up after this point. And be like, how's it going? You know, because it took, you know, time to develop. I think I went to Waverly in like May or June. And yeah, we didn't like launch the pieces until the following March. So, you know, it was like a long process. And so, yeah, it was more just like catching up and talking about what we'd been developing. Um, When we did the runway show, we did a whole story about the pieces and, you know, sent the materials and photos of, you know, the shoot that we did. 
So yeah, it was more just like keeping them in the loop and showing them what we'd, what we'd come up with. And it was pretty, it wasn't like an official thing. So it was just like a go, see what you can come up with. If you had ended up getting more of the blankets, do you think that would have changed the dynamic in some ways? I mean, maybe we would probably would have had to work out like the commercial side of it. Are you going to sell it? Are we going to sell it? How do we work it out? Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just to wrap up, I'd love to hear what are the challenges about working in these types of collaborations and what are the opportunities? I think in any collaboration, it has to be mutually beneficial to both parties. There needs to be good open communication. I think if you don't have time to do that stuff and you don't have the understanding that it's that it's like a, it's a joint effort and that there's something you're giving and taking i guess like that's just important to be aware of i suppose i think the challenges are when you're like busy and running a business a small business in australia regardless of fashion business let alone and then there's a pandemic going on and all this sort of stuff things can go on for a long time and things can kind of get left or forgotten about people can leave things can you know change so I, I don't know, like, yeah, it's like anything, like as a relationship and you're working to build a relationship. And that's like, I, for me anyways, like the most important thing is trying to yeah build relationships with people so that, you know, everyone's happy and everybody's contributing as much as they want to be contribute and they might not want to contribute much either. So just being like aware of the, those kind of dynamics, I suppose, because I know that there are a lot of mills of the very few that are left like that get like a lot of inquiries from small businesses and they really don't understand the industry yet or they're just kind of starting out and I think it's like important to just remember that these are people's jobs that they've been doing for like a long time and it's I don't know it's not it's not always that easy like people think you can just demand things and it's like it's not always that simple like there are minimum order quantities not there for a reason they're not there to shut you out they're often the equipment can't actually do less you have to do that much and then who bears the cost of that the mill and so it's like okay like people complain about certain things without realizing that there's a whole reason behind things and understanding the system. So I guess trying to understand the system, trying to understand the people involved and why things are the way they are and not just um, kind of thinking that you can waltz in and kind of demand what you like, but hopefully people aren't doing that anyway. Yeah, just being like open with communications, I think is really, really important. But also I think like, especially when you're working with like a larger business or whatever, just being aware that if you're a smaller business or even vice versa, just understanding that there are you know you don't want to waste people's time as well as you don't want to take advantage of people like it's like kind of it's just a balance of being kind and being aware self-aware i guess If you'd like to check out ABCH, you can find them online or in-store. See their website, abch.world, for more information, or their Instagram, under the same title. Keen to know more about me? You can also find me on Instagram, at underscore julia.english, where I share my thoughts on fashion and sustainability, as well as what this looks like for me in the day-to-day, from what I'm reading, how I'm styling my wardrobe, to my latest mending project. Your thoughts matter to me, and I would love for them to contribute to my research. 
You can do this by sharing, liking, commenting, or reviewing this podcast and the snippets that you find on my social media channels. Through sharing these, you'll be agreeing that your input can be used to help inform my research and help me understand the value that this podcast might have. Through sharing this podcast, I'm hoping to be more transparent in the way I do research. However, for the sake of a smooth sounding podcast, this interview has been edited. And some sections may have been cut if they weren't suitable for public sharing. You'll find links to the transcript and citation information in the show notes. My PhD is funded by an Australian government research training scholarship and has had ethics approval through RMIT University. You can also find my contact details in the show notes should you have any questions about the research project.